Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Last verse. Last verse in Genesis closes with this. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And those are the last recorded words we have of Joseph. We see Joseph saying to his people, God will surely visit you. God will surely visit you. This shows us Joseph's heart. As a window, we have a window. Finally, we have this window into his life. And here it is, closing this window at the end of Genesis 50. But we're left with these words, and we saw them. Last thing we saw about Joseph, we saw him say, God will surely visit you. And you can see how this truth re-echoed in his mind because he said it twice in verse 24. Later on, he said it again in verse 25. He said, God will surely visit you. And it had been decades since he'd been in the land of Israel. But he knew that God was going to bring them out of Egypt into the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And he said, God will visit you, and you will carry up my bones from hence. For Joseph, the time had come for his death. The embalmers were ready. He had instructed them to embalm him. The coffin was prepared. Joseph made his people swear that when God visited them, that they would open up that coffin and carry those bones, Joseph's bones, out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. And that was his testimony to them that God was going to bring them out. Who was this man, Joseph? We know so much that happened to him in his history, but then the real question is, do we know his heart? Do we know him from the inside? These are his last words, and they tell us so much about him. These last five words of Joseph that he repeated twice, they reveal to us, they're a window into his soul, they're a window into his heart that tell us what really made Joseph tick. And those are the words. God will surely visit you. Here was Joseph's secret. This is the secret of Joseph's life. How did he overcome in his life? How did he have victory in his life? Through every stage in the life of Joseph, he had confidence that God would surely visit him. We saw Joseph earlier when in his home, he was surrounded by his brothers who held him in contempt. For all those nights when Joseph would lay his head on the pillow at his home and felt so alone, so misunderstood, his mother, Rachel, had died giving birth to his brother. His father resented his dreams that he would bow down to him. His brothers hated him for his dreams. And Joseph was all alone in his own house, misunderstood and hated with a murderous hatred. What was the secret for Joseph to not give up in despair all alone? How was he able to endure in his own home? Joseph endured with the words, God will surely visit you. God will surely visit me. 
I have one friend, Joseph would say. I have one friend, and his name is God. Joseph could say with King David the words of Psalm 27.10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Joseph could be rephrase it and put it this way, when my father, through misunderstanding, and my mother, through death, forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Joseph could say the words of Proverbs 18.24, a man that has friends must show himself friendly, but there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And he knew who that friend was. If Joseph were alive today, he would sing the words, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. We saw Joseph in the pit, thrown there by his own brothers. We saw Joseph listening to his brothers who were in the stage of finally we can discuss how we're going to kill him. We saw Joseph in that hot desert in a pit where it says there was no water. We saw him looking around that pit wondering, is this going to be my coffin? Is this it? Is this where I'm going to breathe my last? Then we saw them concluding that at least they should get a little money for him. And we saw him being lifted up out of the pit and be sold as a slave to be carried down into Egypt, just as we saw earlier when they brought Joseph into Egypt. And then we saw a new enemy rise up against Joseph, the wife of his master. We saw her try to destroy his soul through immorality. And when that didn't work, then we saw her try to destroy his body by falsely accusing him of attempting to rape her. Then we saw Joseph wasting away in a dark, damp Egyptian prison, being tortured in that prison with his feet in pain from those iron stocks that they put on him. We saw Joseph described in Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. How was Joseph able to survive Again, alone there with his feet in pain in that prison, Joseph survived because he knew, God will surely visit me. And then when Joseph was exalted as second into Pharaoh and the most powerful man in Egypt, which really represented his strongest trial, that was his greatest trial. That was the greatest challenge that Joseph had. Why? Because here we saw Joseph being praised by Pharaoh and all the Egyptians In Genesis 41, 38 through 43, it says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Forasmuch as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. In reality, in reality, this was Joseph's greatest trial. Why? Because of Proverbs 27, 21. As the fining pot For silver, it's a place where silver is purified. And the furnace for gold, it's a place where gold is purified. So is a man to his praise. What does it mean? It means 
you put fire and heat to make molten silver so that you can separate the dross from the silver. You put gold in a furnace so hot that the impurities just vaporize away under the heat. That's trial that purifies. God says, when you praise a man, you put him under that kind of trial. You put him under that kind of heat. So is a man to his praise. That's why in this phase in Joseph's life, he was in his greatest trial, his greatest challenge. Here, finally, Joseph was understood. Here, he received what his family never gave him, acknowledgement that God had spoken to him, that God had sent him. Here was all of Egypt bowing the knee before Joseph, and that was his greatest trial. That was his greatest trial, because now he had an audience of a whole country How was Joseph able to overcome this trial? How was he able to get the victory over this great temptation? Egypt was comfortable for Joseph. The Egyptians had given Joseph a prominent wife. He had children by her. He had the highest position in Egypt next to Pharaoh. How was he able to obey God when it says in Micah 2.10, Arise ye and depart. For this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. Those words, Joseph could hear them as if God was saying to him, Arise, Joseph, and depart. This Egypt is not your rest, because it is polluted. It will destroy you with a sore destruction. And Joseph believed that. And how was he able to believe that? How was he able to proclaim in the middle, in the best time of his life, that he was going to leave Egypt. He was looking forward to leaving Egypt, even if it was just going to be his bones that left. Joseph was able to turn his back on Egypt because he held to those words. God will surely visit you. And Joseph did exactly the same thing that Moses did. Have you ever thought of the parallels between Moses and Joseph? Joseph, who landed in prison, and Moses who landed in a little ark, a little boat as a baby. Joseph, whose head was lifted up out of prison by Pharaoh and exalted to be prime minister next to Pharaoh. Moses, whose little body was lifted up out of the ark by Pharaoh's daughter to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter in line to be the next Pharaoh. Yet both Joseph And Moses, they turned their back and they forsook Egypt. Even if that forsaking was just a promise that his bones would be taken out, how were Joseph and Moses able to do that? They did it because of what it says in Hebrews 11, 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as one, as seeing him who is invisible. Both Joseph and Moses saw him who is invisible. That's God. And for Joseph, he expressed it in these words, God will surely visit you. Joseph believed what was told to his great, great grandfather, Abraham. When he was told, know of a surety in Genesis 15, 13 and 14, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not there. Serve them, afflict them 400 years. Also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. 
He said, Joseph knew of a surety that God had promised to Abraham that it was going to come true, that Israel was going to be a stranger in a land that was not theirs. Joseph knew that the tables would turn for Israel and that they would become slaves in Egypt. Joseph knew the time frame would be 400 years. Joseph knew, and it broke Joseph's heart to know that there would be 400 years of hard slavery. And Joseph thought back on his years of being a slave. And he knew that the only way for his own Jewish people to survive for their coming slavery was going to be the only way that he was able to survive for his previous slavery by holding on to the word of God that was revealed to Abraham. God will surely visit you. Joseph knew God would judge Egypt and that the Jewish people would come out of Egypt and they'd have great wealth when they came out. And Joseph was so anxious for his Jewish brethren that he said, I'm committing my bones to you. You have one responsibility that I'm giving you, and that responsibility is my bones. You keep them, you carry them with you when God visits you, as he has promised. And he, Joseph effectively made his bones speak to his own people for 400 years. With that promise, the Jewish people kept the bones of Joseph. Joseph's bones weighed on them all the time. They were responsible to care for Joseph's bones. He'd made them promise they were under an oath to carry Joseph's bones out of Egypt with them when God surely visited them. And he said to his brethren in Genesis 50, 24, Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. These are his last words. Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph took an oath. His last words, he's taking an oath. Of the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from hence. Joseph was saying to his brethren, I know I'm dying. I know I'm dying. Do you see those Egyptian embalmers there? They're there because I've called for them. I have arranged for them to be here now. Do you see them with their needles? With their two breeds, I have instructed them. As soon as I die, which will be soon, they'll go to work. They'll put those needle spikes connected to those reed tubes right into my jugular veins. And then they'll push the blood out of my body. And they will infuse throughout my body the embalming fluids. Because the Egyptians were great chemists. And they're going to preserve my body and my bones just like they've done to all the pharaohs. Only all the pharaohs, they're buried in the tombs of the pharaohs. But those embalmers have strict orders from me to not bury me in the tombs of the pharaohs. Those embalmers will carry out my orders, and when they have embalmed me, they will hand my embalmed body and bones over to you, and you are to keep them. You are to keep my embalmed body and bones for the 400 years that God has said you will be in slavery. And all during those 400 years when you will be slaves in Egypt, you are to look at my body, you are to look at my bones, and you are to hear again my words saying to you, God will surely visit you. You are never to look at Egypt as your home. And when God does visit you, every Jewish person is to leave Egypt, and you are to carry out my bones with you. That was the reason why Joseph made them swear to carry his bones out with them. The world we live in today, that's our Egypt. When we were born, it happened to us, just like it says 
in Exodus 1. The children of Israel which came into Egypt, when we were born, we were like the children of Israel coming into our Egypt. That phrase applies to us. Israel which came into Egypt, we were born as Israel coming into Egypt. When Israel came into Egypt, they were at the point of dying from starvation. And it's really the same like every baby that's born. Every baby that's born is at the point of dying when he arrives in the world with lungs which have to, for the first time, inflate in order to live. Which blood which has to, for the first time, clot in order to live. Which hemoglobin which, for the first time, has to increase its affinity for oxygen in order to live. So many changes that have to happen for the first time for a baby. The baby is on the verge of death when he's born. And when we came into the world, like Israel, on the verge of death from starvation when they came into Egypt, we on the verge of death also came into the world. And when Israel came into Egypt, no matter how well they were taken care of, it was always true what God told Abraham in Genesis 15, 13. He said it to Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. The Jewish people would never be anything more than a stranger in the land that was not theirs. They would never be anything more than a foreigner in Egypt. They would always be known as aliens in a foreign country. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we became aliens, and we confessed ourselves as aliens in this world or to this world. We became foreigners. We became strangers in the world. Just what it says in Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. When we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we became strangers and pilgrims in this world. And we said with Israel in Egypt that this world is not ours. It's a land that's not ours. It's not our home. We came to know also, James 4.4, that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And we became the enemy of the world so that we could be the friend of God and the world became our enemy. And God's view was that Egypt was not good enough for Israel, for his people. And God has said that about us as well. In Hebrews 11, 37, 38, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. That phrase, of whom the world was not worthy, means the world was not good enough 
for them as far as God was concerned. But there were benefits for Israel, for Israel, when they came into Egypt. There were benefits for Israel to be in Egypt. First, because of all the troubles that Israel would have, Israel would learn to call on the name of God. Israel would learn to cry out to God. Israel would learn to groan. And they would groan to the groan-hearing God. And that's the same for us. We have troubles in this world. And that's promised to us in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And what do we do when we're suffering? Psalm 106.44. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. Jonah, running away from God, in the belly of a big fish with all the stomach acids and it says in Jonah 2.2, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell I cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Israel would be in the belly of hell in Egypt, and they would learn like Jonah to cry, and they would come to know the cry-hearing God Psalm 22, verse 24, For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither had he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. They would learn that God does not turn away his face, hide his face from the affliction of the afflicted. And they would learn this through affliction, hard as it is. Israel became strong in their ability to groan to God pray to God. And Israel became strong in their lives of slavery. They'd need the strength that they gained there from, as they would have to do a pretty hard journey from Egypt to Sinai. And so Egypt was God's fitness program. The world is a training place for believers. We learn in this world to do Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Where does it happen that we become strong and in the power of God's might? Right here on planet Earth. That's where we wrestle with principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual wickednesses in high places. This is God's spiritual 24-hour fitness center. And God's goal is that we stand, we be strong in the power of his might, and we withstand. And this all happens to us in our Egypt. And we need to remember the words of Joseph, God will surely visit you. We need to be ready at any moment. At any moment. It only takes one last gasp of air and we leave it all. And we need to live our lives like Joseph did and like he taught his brethren that all through life you remember this world's not your home and God will surely visit you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the history here of Joseph, 
He's our example, Lord. And we pray that what he said from his heart may become also, Lord, the confession of our heart to ourselves and to others that you are a faithful visiting God. God will surely visit. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 